Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 38. This morning we are beginning our summer sermon series, and for the past several years that has meant turning to the book of Psalms. During the summer we, we recognize that people's schedules are a, a little bit more haphazard, a little bit more hit or miss, and so we, we step away from our regular sermon series and, and turn to the Psalms and, and look at one Psalm each Sunday so that we can make ourselves familiar with these Psalms of the church, these Psalms given to the people of God to to not only express, but to shape their worship. Here we learn what it looks like to cry out to God, to to praise Him, uh, and to plead with Him. And that is what we have here this morning in Psalm 38, a, a psalm pleading with the Lord as David cries out, make haste to help me. But before we hear the reading of God's Word, let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the ministry of His Word here this morning. Father God, we come before you humbly asking that you would indeed be with us here this morning, Father. That your word would be active, that it would be powerful, that it would be effective as it is read and as it is preached. That it would pierce us and that it would transform us, that it would renew us, and that it would equip us to bring forth its fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 38 beginning at verse 1, a psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because... Of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the lights of my eye, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. This is the reading 
of God's Word. Children, you can come forward for the children's sermon. Come on up. Well, Pastor Sam's on vacation, so you're stuck with me this morning, so sorry about that. But, but I wonder, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you had to cry out, Mom, Dad, help, come quick. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to say that? Oh, come on. Be honest. <laughs> when, when did you have to say that? Anybody want to tell a story? Um, last night when my mommy and daddy were putting the netting on the blueberry bushes, I fell off the swing in the mulch. Oh, yeah, you fell off the swing, and you had to say, hey, come help me, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah Rebecca? You fell out of a tree and you needed your mom. What about you? What, you want to tell a story? Um, when, I fell, when I fell from the roof, Oh, yeah, your mom came to help you when you fell down. Yeah, we have a lot of stories about falling. That seems to be a common theme. We actually had a, a, a story like that just recently. We were, uh, we, I was with Major. You guys know Major, right? I was with Major on Monday. We were over at the Love's house on Memorial Day, and he was running around the backyard, and I know I'm not his dad, uh, but he fell down, and the fall wasn't too bad, actually. He just kind of tripped and fell, and we kind of expected him to get up, but he, he sat there, then he started yelling, and he started screaming, and he got up, and he came running over to me, and we didn't really know what was wrong, but then we figured out that he had fallen right into a fire anthill. And he, they were biting him, and I, and I picked him up, and, I, and I, when I realized what was going on, uh, I, I picked him up, and I took him into the pool to drown all those ants. Now, he couldn't say, come help me, but he certainly said, come help me, by running over towards me, right? So, so why do we do that? Why do you cry out for your parents? Or why, do you, why, does, why does Major come running to me when he's being bitten by ants? Why, why do we do that? Why do you think? Because he doesn't know um, what to do and you need help to, to um, think. That's right. You don't know what to do and you need help to be thankful. Who's going to help you? Your parents, that's right. And we know they're going to help us because they love us and, and they know more than we do. And they're able, they're able to help us when we are in trouble. And, and that's exactly what we see going on in this psalm. But let me ask you another question. What if Major had gotten into trouble? What if he had fallen to that anthill when he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do? What if he had been doing something I had told him not to do? Or what if, what if you got into trouble when you were doing something your parents had told you not to do? What should you do then? Should you hide? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> I, I understand the instinct. I do. All right? But, but let me tell you, we probably shouldn't hide. We don't hide from our parents because even when we're doing something wrong, they still love us. And even when we're doing something wrong, even, even when the trouble we've brought down on our own head is our own fault, they love us and they will take care of us and they will help us. And it's, it's that way for, for children of God with our Heavenly Father, too. That's what we see in this psalm. David is in trouble, and he's, and he's talking about his trouble, and he actually knows that his trouble is at least in part due to his own sins. He, he says, my sins have come down upon my head. He knows he's in trouble because he's done something wrong, but what does he do? At the very end of the psalm, he says, Lord, make haste to help me. Come quickly. Help. He does that because he knows that God loves him. He, he knows that God loves him because he knows that God is a God who keeps his promises to do good for his children. And we know the same thing. We know that God loves us. In fact, God has demonstrated his love for us conclusively in giving his son, Jesus. When we were in trouble, he didn't spare his son, but he gave him for us that we might be forgiven and that we might be 
brought back to him. And because he loves us that way and because he is able to help us, we can always cry out to him and know that he will hear us. And because we have a heavenly father who always hears us, even when the trouble is our fault, that's one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. You guys can go back to your seats. Morning. Oh, he's put a timer up here. <laughs> Wonder if he uses that for himself. Yeah. Pray with me. Father, we've looked at uh, this uh, 38th Psalm. Now open to us your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have uh, many good memories, wonderful times spent with my wife and family and friends. But I also have many painful memories. And I'm confident it's the same for you. Some of my painful memories are of times when I've been hurt by others. But most are memories of great personal failures. Times when I've sinfully injured others by what I said or did or failed to say or do. Times when I dishonored my Lord by my willful rebellion or sinful stupidity. Here in Psalm 38, and I hope you have your Bibles opened or whatever it is you use these days, to Psalm 38. In this Psalm, David experiences painful memories. I mean, you can see it throughout the Psalm. Look at verses three and four. Uh, look again in verse 18. He says he remembers his sins and iniquities. In verse five, um, um, it's almost as if you can hear David say, what a fool I have been. I mean, never said that? What a fool I have been. Did you ever say that? <laughs> well, I have. Now, Scripture does tell us about some of David's sins, but here in Psalm 38, we don't know what the, the sin and iniquities are that David is remembering. But here's what's important. It's not important that we know what those sins and iniquities might have been. What's important is that we remember that David is a man just like us. That's what's important. He was born a sinner, and as a son of Adam, he was guilty of many and great sins. Because David is just like us, born a sinner, guilty of many sins, Psalm 38 both challenges and encourages us. Because here is a man, just like us, overwhelmed <clears throat> with both 
painful memories and somewhat overwhelmed by the consequences of his sin. I mean, David is experiencing spiritual and emotional and and mental and, and physical pain, which at times has been true for me and perhaps true for most of you. But now here's what's important. You've got to view this in light of all of Scripture. Scripture shows us, Scripture clearly teaches us that difficult, painful circumstances are not always the consequence of personal sin. Of personal sin. I mean, remember the blind man of John chapter 9. He wasn't blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. He Jesus said the man was blind so that God could, uh, God's glory could be displayed by, uh, by Jesus restoring his sight. Remember, you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, we don't know what that thorn may have been. Paul tells us three times he asked the Lord to take it away, and three times the Lord said, No. (laughs) Now, why was that? That seems like a disappointing answer. The Lord told Paul, it was so that you will learn that my grace is sufficient for you and that you will know that through your weaknesses, I will display my strength. So, please understand that painful circumstances are not always a direct consequence of personal sins. They're the consequence of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Unless the Lord returns first, we're all going to die of something. Only after he returns or we walk through the valley of the shadow of death will we receive those bodies incorruptible and immortal? I I know the aches and pains of old age. My body isn't what it used to be. It never was much, but now it's even less. My grandson Thomas is experiencing significant heart problems at the age of 19. But both Thomas and I are both sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And yet for now, we still live in a fallen world, as do you. But now here in Psalm 38, David is suffering painfully the consequences of his sin and iniquities. I mean, look at verse 1. David knows, look at verse 1. David knows the Lord is rebuking and disciplining him. But look at David's prayer. Lord, don't rebuke or discipline me in your anger or wrath. Well, let me assure you, the Lord isn't doing either of those things. How can I say that? I assure you, 
that the Lord is neither angry nor full of wrath toward David. Because David is, by God's grace, saved through faith in the one to come. And if, like David, by grace through faith, you've declared your love for Jesus, your total commitment to him as your Savior, Lord, and King, he loves you. He loves you with a love that will never let, let you go. And what does he assure you? He assures you that you need not fear his condemnation. I mean, think about Peter. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Did you get any worse? I mean, blatant denial. But what does Jesus also assure Peter? He assures Peter, your faith is not going to fail entirely. You will turn back to me, and I will use you to strengthen your brothers. Wow. Wow. Scripture also tells us that Peter wept when he faced the reality of his denials. I've often wept. I assume so have most of you. That, that's good. It means you're loved. The Father loves you. He loves you so that when you stray, be it deliberately or unthinkingly, he won't let you get away with it. He loves you too much. My father wouldn't let me get away with it. You have fathers who wouldn't let you get away with it? My father wouldn't let me get away with disobeying his instructions. He, out of love, he disciplined me, and for that I'll be eternally grateful. And here in Psalm 38, because the Lord loves him, David is experiencing the painful rebuke and discipline of his heavenly Father. Look at verse 2. David says he feels like he's been shot full of arrows. He feels like the Lord's hand is pressing down upon him. In verse 3, he, he speaks of having no soundness of flesh, no health in his bones. In verse 4, he describes himself as being oppressed by a heavy burden. Verses 5 through 8, he tells us he feels wounded, bowed down, his flesh is burning, he feels feeble and crushed. <clears throat> In verse 6, he describes himself as constantly mourning. Because as he tells us in verse 8, his heart is in tumult. Wow. Look at verses 9 and 10. David tells us his heart is throbbing, his strength is failing. He's living in a dark, dark world. And drop down to verse 17, where he tells us his pain is constant. Now, that's not all. Look at verses 11 and 12. On top of all this, Davis tells us that some people, people that he thought, he thought were his friends and companions, they're, they're turning away from him. They're, they're taking advantage 
of his weakened condition. Now, you got to remember, David's the king. And like anybody in a high position, he has enemies. People who, for personal, religious, or political reasons, are ready to desert or harm him. Now, personally, I don't have such enemies. But I want you to know that as part of God's family, both you and I, we are surrounded by such enemies. When our sins are exposed, when it is discovered that we are less than perfect, there are those ready to attack and to declare us to be nothing more than than bigoted hypocrites at this very moment. Our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters are all being tarred and feathered because of terrible and inexcusable sins perpetrated by a handful of their leaders and people. But they're all under attack. And now, here in verse 38, David finds himself deserted and attacked by enemies. Enemies, verse 9, who are vigorous, who are mighty. Look at verse 20. No, look at verse 20. Now remember, David's told us bluntly he knows all about his sin. But he also knows, verse 20, that he has been treated fairly, uh, that, that, I'm sorry, he also knows that he has treated fairly and justly those who are attacking him. They're attacking him, David says in verse 20, because despite his sin, he, he, his other sins, in regards to these folks, he strived to do for them what is good in the Lord's sight. But now, with his sins exposed, in his weakened condition, his enemies are ready to eat him alive. Wow. So what does David do? How does David respond? Look at verses 13 and 14. He tries, verses 13 and 14 are just so interesting. David tries not to hear or think about their wild accusations or attempt to defend himself. And he's the king. He knows that at times you have to answer a fool in his folly and expose his ignorance, but David finds this not to be such a moment. Why? I'm not sure. Let me suggest the possibility, just a suggestion. It's because knowing his sin and his iniquities, perhaps he views the attacks of his enemies as being used by the Lord to rebuke and discipline him. But now, David cries to the Lord. Look at verse 1. He begs God for mercy. Look at verse 9. I love David prays confident that the Lord knows all about his circumstances. 
And look at verse 9. That the Lord even understands his wordless longings and sighs. Isn't that great? You ever felt like you needed to pray and you couldn't find the words? Don't worry about it. The Lord's got it. He's got it. Verse 18, he confesses his sins and he expresses genuine sorrow for what he has done. And then David ends his prayer by begging God, don't forget me. Be near to me. Come quickly to my, uh, to my assistance, as Philip was explaining to the children. And I'm sure you were all listening. Quite often we get more out of the children's sermon than we do out of this sermon. It, I don't quite know what to make of this, but I do want to point it out. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, David says, that he will wait upon the Lord to answer his prayer. I'll wait. <laughs> and then in verse 22, he says, but make haste. I'll wait, but make haste. I know those two prayers. I'll wait. I'm going to wait patiently, Lord. Okay, Lord, that's been long enough. Now make haste. The Lord understands those prayers. He understands those prayers. David looks to the Lord, either patiently or with some degree of impatience. He looks to the Lord because he knows, as I pray, you know that the Lord alone, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is his only hope and source of forgiveness, of deliverance, of restoration, of salvation. But listen, I know my sins. Past, present, and sadly I know I'll continue to sin because in fact John tells us in his first epistle that if we say that we are without sins, we are what? We are what? I know you're Presbyterians, answer my question. <laughs> if we say we are without sins, we are what? Liars. Liars. Which happens to be a sin which happens to be a sin. I also know what it is. I also know what it is at times. By God's grace to feel as if I'm being eaten alive by my sins. Eaten alive. You? You ever been there? It's awful. It's painful. It's good. Because it's the Lord loving you and me too much to let you merrily or mindlessly stray from the path that he has set before you. By God's grace, I know and I pray you know what it is to sense the need to confess to the Lord your sin to confess particular sins, particularly here in Psalm 38. We don't know the particular sins troubling David, but you know your particular sins. By God's grace, I certainly know mine. So what are we to do? We're to cry out to the Lord. 
And although he already knows all about our transgressions, he wants you to own your sins and to ask his forgiveness. When I was 16, I worked at a Bible conference on the New Jersey shore. I woke one night overwhelmed with a sense of sin. I, I got up, I, I walked to the beach, and for about an hour I poured out my heart before the Lord, and it was an awful and wonderful moment. It's one of my better memories. For there that night I knew I was forgiven. And it's not just in the, about 15 years ago, my wife came home to find me on the floor of my study sobbing. My mind was flooded with bad memories, painful memories, memories of the sins of my youth and of recent years that I had never owned, never owned. So I asked her to sit down, hear my confession, which she lovingly and tenderly did. I rehearsed many a sin asking the Lord's forgiveness. And then for my sake, I asked her to assure me that I was forgiven. I needed to hear it verbally. And she did. Because by God's grace, I was. Have you ever known such moments? They're terrible and wonderful at the same time. They're both painful and good. Unbeliever, if you will acknowledge your rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were made, if you'll embrace Jesus as your creator, savior, Lord, and king, as the one who you understand died to pay the penalty for your sin, you can know your sins are forgiven. The slate wiped clean. And believer, because the Lord loves you, he'll never let you go. He will never let you simply stray. So when by his grace you sense anew the burden of unconfessed sin, turn to him. Be honest before him. Confess, repent anew. Ask the Lord to restore to you, to restore to you the joy of your salvation, of that right relationship with him and with others. And then you can join with David in singing the words of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, hidden, gone. Blessed, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Let's pray. Father, teach us, teach us these truths. We pray in Christ's name.